Good morning, Starhouse. Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and all over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have food for them. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. Thanks, Christina, for that. In the event that you didn't hear her, we're going to be in Genesis 1. We're looking at verses 26 through 31 this morning. Um, as you open or load your Bible, um, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McKellen. I've got a couple of quick updates for you. Usually start off this way. The first one is that uh, we have Connect cards available for you. If you are new, we'd love to take you out to lunch or for coffee uh, or the opportunity to pray for you. And so fill one of those Connect cards out, drop it in the Connect desk, and one of us will get back to you promptly. In addition to that, we love to preach from God's Word. Therefore, we love to hook you up with God's Word. And so there are Bibles available for you. If you do not have one, take one. That is our gift to you. Finally, you're going to hear a little bit more about this, I think, on our video announcements. I just wanted to get uh, ahead of the, 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 the ball a little bit. Uh, this Wednesday, we start our first theological class uh, for the semester. It's called Doxa, an Introduction to Christian Belief. Uh, this has been something that we've been testing and trying over the last year and a half, and, and the goal of this class is to provide an introduction to systematic theology. Sometimes uh, a study in, in, in systematic theology or a class on systematic theology can be a little intimidating. Oftentimes the books are thick, the words and sentences are too long, and, uh, and it can be a little bit of a dense study. We want to provide an intro course to that by uh, approaching systematic theology through the Apostles' Creed. And so this is the book that we're going to be using. It's called The Apostles' Creed, Discovering Authentic Christianity in the Age of Counterfeits. Anyway, visit the website. You can sign up for that. The cost of the course is $30. That covers the book and, any, and offsets any other uh, fees that we're going to incur. Uh, that starts on Wednesday. Visit the website so you can get the dates and how it's going to work. Uh, I'd love to dig into our time, but, I, but if you have questions, visit our Connect desk afterward, or you can just come up to me after service, and I'll, I'll give you some more details. Anyway, so other than that, hope you guys are good. Uh, last week, we began a series called Stewardship cultivating wisdom. 
And our aim in this series is to examine what the Bible says about being stewards in our everyday life. But in order to best understand stewardship, we felt that it was uh, important and necessary to first look at cultivating wisdom. And after today, uh, we're going to begin to look at how stewardship and wisdom play vital roles in a variety of areas in our lives. Last week, we saw that cultivating wisdom begins with humility in order to rightly apply the Word of God to our lives. Wisdom is essential in stewardship because wisdom is what helps us to discern wise and unwise, good, not so good, godly, ungodly. Wisdom is something that we all need if we desire to lead a happy, a godly, a useful and fulfilling life. This morning, we're going to be looking at biblical stewardship. And so to begin, I'm not so sure if you know this. I'm just going to lay it on the table because that's what we do. We like to put things on the table, so I'm going to try my best. I don't know if you know this, but everything that you have is not yours, right? Everything that you have is not yours. Everything that you have been given is a gift from God because God is the ultimate gift giver. He is the giver of gifts. And truth be told, that statement is easier said than believed. That everything isn't yours. Whether it's the money you have, the success that you have worked for, or the relationships that you have cultivated, we don't necessarily or at all want to say that none of it belongs to us. After, after all, we've put in a lot of work, we've had countless hours and time invested into a variety of these endeavors, we have put sacrifice into this. We have been intentional with the things that we believe are ours. The question would be, how, how can they not be ours? And, and if it's not ours, are you saying that our pursuit of these things are, is in vain? It's a, it's a difficult pill to accept, much less swallow. But what if it's true? What if it is true? What if what we have really isn't ours? What would that have said? What does that reveal about our investments and our success, our relational determination? For the Christian, we are called to be stewards. And biblical stewardship is more than managing time and money, that's oftentimes what it's associated with. But biblical stewardship is more than managing money or time. It is reflecting the goodness of God's character in all that we have been given. And that's our main idea for our time this morning. Biblical stewardship is more than managing money or time. It is reflecting the goodness of God's character in all that we have been given. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into our text this morning. Lord, thank you for giving us today. 
a beautiful day in McAllen. Lord, I pray that the sweetness of today's weather would remind us of your kindness and in turn that it would lead us back to you. Last week, we prayed for wisdom. This morning, we continue to pray for wisdom so that we may delight in your word and ways. Lord, would you humble us this morning? Would you comfort us, convict us, challenge us, not for the purpose of condemnation, but refreshment in your grace? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at biblical stewardship similar to the way that we looked at wisdom last week. We're going to answer three questions. What is biblical stewardship? Why does stewardship matter? How do we grow as stewards? Those are the three questions. What is biblical stewardship? Why does it matter? How do we grow as stewards? So let's begin with the first question. Right? The first question begins with defining biblical stewardship. We got to know what that is and then how it, how, why it's such a big deal. And so here's my attempt at uh, defining biblical stewardship. It is the administration and management of resources given to man from God. I think this is on your notes. You can look them up online, right? I'll say it one more time. It's the administration and management of resources given to man from God. If you want something a little bit more simple, a little bit more easy, I would say stewardship is being entrusted with God's resources. That's pretty easy, right? But nevertheless, I think administration, the word administration, the word management are accurate. That is, when it comes to administration, that deals with how effectively we handle the resources that we've been given. When it comes to management, that deals with how well our resources are used. So, when it comes to administration and management, each one of us does this. We do both of these. Some of us are better at one than the other. Some of us aren't good at either one of them. Some of us are getting headaches just thinking about administration and management. But nevertheless, you do this. As an example, right, because this is kind of common, take money, right? Take money. Management, <clears throat> when it comes to management, it deals with where our money is spent, right? It deals with where our money is spent. Doesn't matter. You can spend it on entertainment. You can spend it on uh, a new vehicle. You can spend it on bills. It's just where money is spent. Administration would say, how effective is that money being spent? So there's a little bit of wisdom that comes in with stewardship. Like you can blow your money on entertainment and completely ignore your expenses, your monthly bills, as an example. Each one of us, as Christians, are called to be good stewards of everything we have. Everything. The confusion surrounding stewardship, however, tends to be that it's primarily centered around money and not anything else. And the truth is that money is simply a slice of the territory that is stewardship, of the responsibility that is stewardship. Stewardship consists of our money, our time, our relationships, our skills, health, rest, etc., etc. 
Money is merely a slice. Therefore, if stewardship does in fact involve administration and management of resources given to us from God, there must be an origin to this. And that's where our text comes in. And what we're going to see is that Genesis 1 will set the tone for the next two questions. And so with that being said, let us consider Genesis 1, 26. In order to understand our responsibility as stewards, we need to go back to the beginning. That's why we start in, or that's why we're starting in Genesis 1. See, Genesis sets the stage for everything God was doing and everything that God intended, including stewardship. And so Genesis begins to tell us that God created everything and called it good. That is, everything God created was a reflection of His goodness. If you were to briefly read through verses 1 through 24, at the end of each day, we see that God calls creation good. In fact, we are beginning in verse 26. Let me just read verse 25 to give you a little bit of context. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. In creating everything, you'll notice that God speaks everything into existence from the power of his word. In other words, God says, let it happen, and it happened. Except when it came to man. While everything else was spoken into existence, God breathed life into man. So let's go to verse 26. And the beginning... And 27, actually. Let's do that. Here we go. Verse 26. I'm only going to read a part of it to emphasize something. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Then we go to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. When you consider verses 26 and 27, they highlight God's intentionality in the creation of man. More than speaking creation into man, you see that God actually had counsel. Verse 26, let us make man. Everything else was spoken into existence by the power of his word. And when it came to man, there was the involvement of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of the members of the Holy Trinity were actively involved not only in the creation of man, but in the intentionality of man. Continuing in verse 26 and the rest of 27, we see that three times in these two little verses, three times we see that God created man in his image. You read something once, it's important. You read the same thing twice, it's being emphasized. You read something and it says the same thing three times, it is significant. It is significant. 
Man, that is male and female, are set apart from the rest of creation because only man is created in God's image. Let's read it one more time. Then God said, let us, let us make man in our image after our, our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? The cool Latin phrase would be the imago Dei, the image of God. Some would say that it means, uh, to answer the question, what does it mean to be created in God's image? Some would argue that it's man's ability to think creatively. Some would say that it deals with our uniqueness or perhaps the experiences that we have throughout our life. But to be created in the image of God is a little bit more than that. Not only does it mean that we have been created with worth, dignity, and value, but because we are set apart from the rest of creation, we are meant to serve as God's representatives on earth reflecting his character and his nature. To be created in the image of God means that we can understand his revelation, that we can have fellowship with him and reflect his characteristics such as dominion. That is, as a representative of God on earth, in its original design, we had authority over things or over creation for God. And this is further explained in the second half of 26b. So he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And here he says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on this earth. We see that God created everything. We see that God created man. And now we see that God entrusts creation to man. In 26b, along with 28 through 30, which we'll look at in just a minute, in these verses, we see that God entrusts man with creation. Man and woman have distinctions and roles and responsibilities, yes, but man, that is male and female, is to have dominion over all other creatures, over the earth and over its resources. See, man is more, you are more than a watchman, and you are way more than just some entry-level employee. Man is to be active in the work of stewardship. Man has been entrusted with creation. Man is to subdue. Do you know what the word subdue is? It is to bring under control. It is to subdue. We are to subdue the earth. Consider Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. To work it and keep it. This was the original intention of stewardship for mankind. God would entrust us with creation, 
but not for the purpose of simply watching over it. Rather, man was to take these resources of creation and turn them into instruments and works that glorify God. That was our original obligation. And so for a moment, let us consider what worship, or excuse me, what stewardship produces. The first is in 28b. We just looked at that, but the first is in 28b. Stewardship produces productivity. In other words, work. It's just a fancy word for work. Verse 28, or excuse me, 28b. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. Check it. You guys with me real quick? Work is a pre, that's before, pre-fall gift, not a post-fall curse. Let me say that one more time. Work is a pre-fall gift, not a post-work or post-fall curse. And so when it comes to God entrusting us with creation, we are to go to work. We are to be productive. The Apostle Paul warns others in the New Testament of idleness. To the Thessalonians, he says, we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. A busybody is un metiche, an individual who's just trying to meddle in people's business and ignore their responsibility. A busybody is an individual who spends a lot of time ignoring their responsibilities and the productivity that they should be engaged in and is meddling in the mess or in meddling in other people's business, not for the sake of discipleship, but for the sake of being umetiche. Hope y'all know what that means. (laughs) Stewardship produces productivity. We were created for work. In fact, before the fall, before the fall, and even after the fall, I should say, the, the translation of that little word, work, leads to worship. It's worship. Number two, stewardship produces flourishment. Also, verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, that is to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What is he telling me? And he let, just be so, totally on, 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 put it on the table. I don't know why that sounded awkward. Let's just put it on the table, right? When he is talking to, to Adam and Eve, he's saying, populate the earth and enjoy one another. Enjoy one another in the context of marriage between one woman and one man. That's part of stewardship. That's stewarding our families. Now, some might say like, well, you know, I can't do that. I'm single. It's okay. Check it out. I got stuff for you too. Because in populating the earth, what happens? Babies are born. What happens with babies? We need to raise them. We need to disciple them. We need to invest in the next generation. There are plenty of them on the second floor that need discipleship. So you're not off the hook. It is for flourishment to teach our children and the next generation, this is who God is. This is what God has done. This is what Jesus came to do. 
In a time of communion, for instance, one of the things I, I tend to, to articulate is parents, teach your children about Jesus. That's part of flourishment. Don't assume that they know about God just because they are sitting down with you. Teach them. Be intentional about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That involves flourishment. Number three, stewardship produces investment. Same thing, verse 28. And verse 28 says, And God said, Be fruitful. To be fruitful means to, to, to grow, to expand our resources, to, to invest in them. That's through innovation and building and expanding. Be fruitful in what you have been given. Multiply it. Reproduce it. Invest in it. 29 through 30, and God said, Behold, I have given you, there's that language of stewardship, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Remember what I said earlier, right? You read it once, it's important. Read it twice, it's emphasized. Read it three times, it's the same thing being pressed. There is significance to it. Number four, stewardship produces glorifying God. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, that is creation, that is man, that is his entrustment of creation to man. And behold, what's the difference here? It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth of the day. Verse 31 ultimately is talking about all that God made, all that God had done reflects his goodness. Entrusting creation to man wasn't random, but it was so that man would reflect the goodness and glory of God in everything that he had been given. And God said, that is very good. See, the beauty of stewardship is that one, God sets man apart from all of creation and then entrusts man with all of his creation for the purpose of flourishment so that we would pour into it, so that we would see fruit. That's kind of a really, really good deal. I'm going to create everything. I'm going to hook you up with all of it, and I want you to expand it. I want you to invest in it. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to multiply. I want you to grow it. And I want you to enjoy all of it. And so as we begin to see the origin of our responsibility as stewards, here's my first question. Or this is the first question I would ask myself. Am I a good steward of what I've been entrusted with? Am I a good steward of what I've been entrusted with? Biblical stewardship is rooted in creation. So you see how something like money is just a slice. 
there's much, much more to the territory and responsibility of stewardship that we've been given. Biblical stewardship is rooted in creation. Let's move to the second question. Why does stewardship matter? Well, in short, stewardship matters because when we consider the narrative of Genesis, we soon realize that we didn't want to reflect the glory of God. Rather, we wanted to be God ourselves. And that's our issue today. So, if you got your Bible, go to Genesis 3. We're going to consider verses 1 through 6. Here we go. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will, surely, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. In this narrative of Genesis 3, we're introduced to the serpent, one who is created and limited. Repeat that, created and limited. And he, in turn, begins to tempt Eve. He begins to tempt her with the question of whether or not God actually said what he said, right? That's where it starts. And in that moment, we're going through this portion kind of quickly. In that moment, check it. Rather than being stewards of what God had done and what God had said, that is, rather than obeying God's word and command, rather than subduing the earth, this was a created being. What was their role? Their role was to subdue. Their role was to have dominion. Rather than exercise their responsibility as stewards, they did not do that. Rather than Adam exercising his responsibility as being one with Eve to protect her, to love her, in Genesis 2, 23 to 24, we see the very first poem that was written. He's like speaking highly of her. He goes on to say that they will hold fast together as one. Rather than protecting her, rather than being a steward, rather than obeying what God had said, they fell in their temptation. And sin and corruption entered into creation at that very moment. We have come to know this as the fall of man. Now we can preach a ton of different sermons on Genesis 3. We're looking at it through the context of stewardship. Once more, rather than exercising their responsibility and authority as stewards, they forfeited it because they wanted to be God. 
And so the fall of man distorts several things. First, the fall of man distorts our relationship with God. In that moment when Adam and Eve sinned, our standing before God was now severed. And the curse of sin had now come into existence. As a result, we are all born with Adam's guilt. That is, this sin nature that we so have, we have inherited it. Second, the fall of man corrupted our image and likeness. It is not to say, it is not to say that we are not created in the image of God, but as a result of our sin and corruption, we actually don't desire to reflect God, both because we can't and we don't want to. Rather, we desire to be our own God. Third, the fall of man distorted our responsibility of stewards as stewards of God's creation. Rather than work being something that brought us delight and drew us and draws us near to God, labor is now accompanied with struggle. And you can write a list on that. And that's just one example. Work would be one example. But labor is accompanied with struggle. People not showing up to work, people showing up late, lazy employees, you not waking up on time, difficult individuals, coworkers, customers, other students, peers. There is struggle now when it comes to labor. In the context of Genesis 3, Adam and Eve's relationship now involved strife. She wanted to lord over her husband while he wanted to be passive and not lead her by loving her well. Consequently, stewardship matters because we're able to live our life the way it was actually intended to be. You see, outside of knowing God, outside of biblical stewardship, we desire ownership. That is, what we have is ours and ours alone. It is mine and mine alone. Ownership says that we have or that I have total control over everything that I have been given. It is mine. And as a result, our ownership leads us to worship idols. See, idolatry is worshiping. Now, let's break that down very, very briefly. Worshiping, that is giving your time, your money, your worth, your value. That is giving yourself over to someone or something that is not God. A place that should be reserved by God is replaced by something or someone else. Idolatry comes to us as a result of fear. I don't want to lose the money, so I'm just going to collect all of the money. It comes as a result of pride. I can do this on my own. I've been uh, doing this on my own. It's all about me. It comes as a result of a variety of experiences. But it's all the same. It's all the same. Idolatry could be something good. It could be friendships. It could be relationships. It could be your marriage. It could be your children. It could be success. It could be education. It can be good things. One of the biggest lies that Christians believe is that idolatry is simply the, quote, bad things. It's anything that takes the place of God. 
Idolatry consumes the heart. It consumes the heart of an individual who hopes that their desires will be fulfilled by said idol rather than the one who is faithful and true. When we are consumed by our idols and our heart's affections are stirred by those idols, we want to live autonomously where we are a law unto ourselves. Where we live and believe that we are the standard. And many would even argue that that is what it means to be free. But the irony, the irony of living autonomously is that you're not actually free. We are not actually free. That we are enslaved. That living autonomously, we're not entrusted stewards, we're enchained slaves. Stewardship matters so that we would live our life as it was intended to be, free from the power of sin and entrusted by God. So we come to our final question. Well, how do we grow as stewards then in God's economy? It seems as though we have no hope. Genesis 3 always leads us down that, and it's just, there's no hope. Even when the topic like stewardship. (laughs) I think the first step toward growing as stewards is recognizing the one who is the ultimate steward. That is Jesus and what he has done for us in our behalf. So growing as stewards, we're answering the question, how do we grow as stewards? Growing as stewards in God's economy begins with restoration from the ultimate steward. See, God entered into our world as the man, Jesus Christ. It's the first part of the gospel. I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul. This is Philippians 2, 7 through 8. He goes on and says, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. You guys reading? Being born in the likeness of men. There's that word again. In the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He who made us in his image took on our image. What Adam failed to do, that is to fulfill the commands of God, Jesus fulfilled without sin. The same apostle says it this way in Romans 5, Therefore, as one trespass, that's back in the garden, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. 
Through Adam's failure as a steward, sin and death was brought into creation, distorting, disrupting, corrupting our relationship with God. But through Jesus, not only did he obey the commands of God, as God's representative on earth, he subdued, there's that word again, he subdued sin and death through his work on the cross and resurrection. It is through the Holy Spirit that God makes us a new creation, breathing life into us anew, giving us a new heart, renewing our image in His likeness by transforming us. What was stained by sin has now returned to God as holy, beautiful, and fruitful through Jesus. Jesus is our great steward king. And now, as stewards of all that God has entrusted us with, we can move forward. One pastor said it this way. We cannot subdue death, but we can become healers. We can restore what sin has harmed. We can be builders and inventors. We can give a glimpse of what man could have been by what we now accomplish by the work of our hands, the contemplation of our minds, and by the love we show. We become good stewards of all that God has entrusted us. We become good stewards by first coming to Jesus in restoration. That's where it begins. Right? Oftentimes, when you think about stewardship, it's like, how do I be a good steward? Well, you got to budget. you got to manage your time. you got to do this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to some of that next week. It begins with restoration. How do we pursue biblical stewardship? It begins with restoration. Secondly, we grow as stewards by repenting of our sin. Repenting of our ownership, our idol worship, our autonomous living, and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus daily. Daily. Oftentimes I ask this question, right? When, I, when I'll meet with some folks, I'll, I'll ask, uh, what does repentance look like for you? And they go on to define it. I'm not asking you to define it. What does it look like for you? What is it, what is it actually that you do when it comes to repentance. See, our hearts have a propensity to take us toward idols, even good things, good things that make a lot of sense, but in the end do not satisfy. Repentance, church, is a grace. It is a gift, a gift that God has given us through the work of Jesus for us. We will not be perfect stewards, but we can do our best and we can strive to live our lives to the fullest potential for His glory, to reflect His character and goodness to one another and to a watching world. Repentance is this beautiful reminder. Check it. It is this beautiful reminder that we have been redeemed and our new creation in Christ. We are stewards of everything that God has given us, including his gospel. 
Repentance shows that our relationship to God and holiness is being recovered as new creatures in Christ. Third, the question is, how do we grow as stewards? The first is restoration. The second one is repentance. The third is that we cultivate wisdom. So now you've got to see why we started with cultivating wisdom last week. This is kind of a review. Cultivating wisdom. Last week we said that cultivating wisdom is, it consists of three things. The first one is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. That is recognizing who God is and realizing that we are not Him. And it is in this fear that we are humbled both by His holiness and His goodness toward us in Christ. In this fear, now we're teachable. Our hearts have been humbled. Our hearts have been renewed. Our minds have been changed. Our desires are now new. We are now teachable in the fear of the Lord. Second is searching the Scriptures. That is, soaking in the Word of God, not for the purpose of some test that is coming, not for the purpose of having all of the answers to all of the questions that you're going to receive, because you're not going to. It is for the purpose of growing in wisdom, maturity, and in our walk with Jesus. That is why we soak in the Word of God. And then finally, Wise counsel. We cultivate wisdom through wise counsel. Who are you surrounding yourself with? We talked a little bit about this last week. I hope things have changed. Who have you been surrounding yourself with? Who's going to provide you with wise counsel? Not just good advice, but good news. Have you pursued one another? Remember what I told you last week. Some of you have not discipled a soul. You talk about it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's for someone else. Some of you don't want to be discipled because you want to walk in arrogance. You want to live autonomously. When we disciple one another, we surround ourselves with wise counsel that's going to point us to Jesus so that we would make the best decision possible using wisdom and discernment. So how do we grow as stewards in God's economy? We grow through restoration, through repentance, and through wise counsel. Church, we are a new creation in Christ. No one can take that from you. No one can take that from you. You have been restored into a right relationship with God through Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit who resides in you empowers you to be a good steward, to be a steward of God's gifts to you. Church, you are no longer enslaved. You are free. You are no longer enchained. You have been entrusted. Therefore, let us live free under Christ. Stewardship reminds us that we are not just capable of being good stewards, but we are now able to delight in God and flourish as God intended us to. So Christian, what kind of a steward are you? 
you can't say you're not. All of us have been given people, time, money, every in, entrusted with. What kind of a steward are you? What rules and reigns for your heart apart from Jesus? Again, stewardship is often associated with money. It's not just money. It might be relationship. Maybe it's not relationship. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's control. What rules and reigns for your heart apart from Jesus? Jesus has subdued sin and death on your behalf. And he calls you to himself by his grace so that you would continue to walk in newness of life. Let me invite you to repent as a grace to remember that you are redeemed. You are free. You can lay it all out on the table before the Lord to receive forgiveness because he is faithful and true. And that you would continue to walk, continue to grow. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm really thankful that you're here. But the truth is, you live according to your standard because you would claim that you are the standard. And while it may feel empowering and even enchanting, it's slavery. Jesus invites you to come and know him through faith and repentance so that those chains would be broken so that you would be given not just new desires, but a new heart, so that life would be breathed into you by his spirit. Church, biblical stewardship is more than the management of money or time. It is reflecting the goodness of God's character with all that we have been entrusted with. Let's pray. God, we began our time by asking for wisdom. And we close our time by continuing to ask for wisdom. A wisdom that brings us to Jesus. A wisdom that reflects your goodness in our lives as stewards. A wisdom that provides us with the ability to use discernment and sound judgment. And so with that, would you forgive us of our folly in pursuing ownership? Our, our being captivated by idols and trying to live apart from you. Would you forgive us when we willingly pursue our foolishness? Would you forgive us when we forget your work in us, our redemption, our restoration through Jesus? By your Spirit, would you empower us to live according to your word, through your Spirit, and for your 
glory, not simply for today, but as we enter our week with its own challenges and with some of the same temptations. Would you guard our hearts that we may walk in wisdom and in step with the gospel? May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you this morning. Amen.